Hi, I'm Emily Hugh, a student pharmacist from South Haven, Mississippi. Hi, I'm Carlin Johnson, a student pharmacist from Seattle, Washington. Hi, I'm Mackenzie Lewis, a student pharmacist from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. You're listening to Pharmacy Forward, a podcast about transforming knowledge into action. In this episode, we talk to Troy Trigstad, the Executive Director of the Community Pharmacy Enhanced Services Network, or CPESN USA. Hi, I'm Megan Wagner, a third year pharmacy student. And I'm Megan Brown. We're from the University of Mississippi School of Pharmacy. Today, we are talking about quality in pharmacy practice, focusing on ambulatory care in community settings. Our guest today is Dr. Troy Trigstad, the Executive Director of CPESN USA, a network empowering community-based pharmacies to improve its portfolio of medication optimization activities and patient care services. Thank you, Troy, for joining us today. Well, thanks, Megan and Megan. Uh, I'm happy to be on and I'm looking forward to the interview. So, Troy, when I think about quality, the framework put forth by the Institute of Medicine is often what comes to mind because I believe it applies to all people who are involved in the delivery of healthcare. So, this framework highlights the six aims for the healthcare system, which include safe, effective, patient centered, timely, efficient, and equitable. So there are some existing measures to address all of these things, mostly focused on safety and efficacy, which is what I think that us as pharmacists, that's what we think about. And there are fewer on patient-centered and timely and even fewer on efficiency and equitable care. So just tell me some of your thoughts and your involvement with the world of quality. Sure. You know, it's interesting when you look at the IOM six pillars, if you will, the, the safe part, we're we're pretty good at that in pharmacy. The efficient part, we're pretty good at that. Um, we're pretty good at being timely. So we're sort of three of six. The other three we're not very good at, and that's patient-centeredness, equitable, and, uh, and effective. And so while the, the, the active ingredients themselves may be viewed as safe and effective, once you put those products into the marketplace, I think uh, most anyone would agree that uh, they become anything but effective once put into the, into the real world. And so three of six is not bad if you're playing baseball, but it'd be really nice to fill those other three holes, right? Uh, how do we make care really patient-centered, equitable, and effective so that we, uh, we're not just worried about prescribing a beta blocker post-MI, we're making sure that it's being filled being filled the second time, the third time, the fourth time, that the dose is titrated as needed, that it's being taken, that we're avoiding the hospital and ultimately heart attacks and, and patient well-being. And so that's sort of the, the, the last mile that I think all of us within the profession and the healthcare system really are starting to focus on, and rightly so, which is patient-centered outcomes. So tell us, what are the gaps for addressing quality in community um, settings, and what are some innovative things that are being done to bridge this? Yeah, I mean, if we go back to those ILM pillars, and and why is it that we struggle with being patient-centered and equitable and, and effective, we come from a medical model where it was built on bricks and mortar for acute care delivery. So you can imagine in the the earlier parts of the last century, we built hospitals, 
and encounter-based care uh, infrastructure was born. Uh, and we still see the legacies of that today. But as we move into the, as we're headlong into the 21st century now, the stats that, that stick out in my mind that I wake up with every day are 70% of the healthcare system's dollars are spent on patients with two or more chronic illnesses and 83.1% of our nation's four billion prescription fills are for patients with two or more chronic diseases. Um, almost by definition, they require some level of medication use supports and, you know, the vestiges of our acute bricks and mortar, acute, acute based and counter based healthcare system are keeping us from really a, a solid chronic care model. And, you know, looking at a simple disease state like diabetes, leading cause blindness, leading cause of kidney disease, leading cause of amputations, and how do we treat diabetes? Profoundly with drugs, hopefully with some diet and exercise and other, other uh, wellness activities woven in, but our principal de- defense once you have diabetes is medications. And we invest all these dollars in medications, but yet we don't realize all of that investment. We don't get the return on that investment that we could if we had medication use supports. And so I was always struck by a primary care provider, Dr. Lofman, in the Chicagoland area who would always say, you know, we spend so much money trying to perfect hospital care, every little thing we look at. Um, and we, we prepare and we protocolize and we make sure that it's the highest, most advanced care in the history of the planet. But yet we discharge that patient out into the wild and off they go with very little supports, very little structure. So you can imagine raising a child, caring for them, doing everything that you do with them, and then they go to kindergarten. The difference here is that when you send your kid to school, there's structure, there's follow-up, there's instructors, there's supports in place. But in the healthcare system, we put folks on the bus and they drop them off at the playground uh, without any sort of supervision and follow-up. And so I think that that last mile of how do we get out into the community when we're doing a population health management model is what everybody's searching for because the definition of chronic disease is longitudinal over time, usually treated by medications and requiring a lot of follow-up and support. Adherence is certainly a good first step. And I think everyone's searching for a way to influence that behavior and provide touch points and supports. And, and that's why uh, you know, community-based pharmacy practice may end up going through a renaissance over the next few years is the realization that we haven't been leveraging this wonderful opportunity to do community-based care delivery. We have lots of healthcare professionals that are out there that simply aren't being used to the full extent possible. Absolutely. And tell me a little bit about some innovative things that are being done um, in the community setting that you're familiar with. Sure. Going back to the expectations of the IOM, they don't really match up real well right now with the expectations of community-based pharmacy. So if the expectation is only that you are safe, timely, and efficient, and you don't have an expectation that community-based pharmacy plays a role in patient-centeredness and effectiveness, I think you're going to get what you expect. I think the innovations of a lot of these pharmacies that want to be part of the healthcare team, they want to be woven into the fabric of the care team processes and participate in alternative payment models, they're all focused on patient-centeredness and effectiveness. So we can have the, the perfect diagnosis with the perfect regimen. We can have remove all the barriers to access from a cost perspective, 
we can package it all up. But if there isn't follow-up in the community where people live, work, and play, we're not going to achieve those outcomes. We're not going to reduce hemoglobin A1Cs, prevent blindness, amputation, kidney disease. And so the big innovation to me, it comes from two places. Place number one is this idea that of community pharmacy care management. Uh, I come from a 15-year-plus a, a history of working with 2,000-plus primary care practices in a model of, hey, if you're going to do a patient-centered medical home, it's going to be very difficult to do with just the physician or even the physician, even with supports just in the office. How is it that you get out into the community and touch that patient many times a year? Our primary care docs touch our patients that are involved in heavy care management three and a half times a year, but yet our pharmacies touch them 35 times a year. And so how is it that we connect those dots principally for the purpose of primary care care team or the care management team or both of them together saying, here's what we want. Here's what the care plan is. Here's what our patient goals are. Here's what the health concerns of the patient are. Here's what the labs are. Here's what the follow-up is. So you can imagine that community-based pharmacy or that community-based provider whose goal then is to take that and monitor, watch after, coach, reorganize when they're doing better, reorganize when they're doing worse, and be that sentinel out into the community needed if you're going to be doing a, a, a longitudinal care model. So that's the first thing is this idea of longitudinal care and using a, a, a frequent touch point with a pretty darn well-trained healthcare provider leading a team within that community-based uh, environment. The second one is expect more. I think this idea of one of the challenges we've had within the CPSN networks from a quality perspective is we want to get the patient voice involved. And so we want to ask questions like, do you know the pharmacist's name that's working with you on organizing your medications? How confident are you that you know how to take all of your drugs successfully? Uh, how, how much do you believe that all of your drugs are needed uh, that you take? How, how confident are you that they're going to treat your disease? And then you get to some satisfaction questions uh, around services. And one of the issues that's come up is patients and other care team members have such a low expectation of pharmacy that it's hard to actually create discrimination, which is pretty telling. And I think, you know, a call to arms for our profession to say, well, if nobody expects much of us, they're not going to rely on us either. And so I think it's how is it that we create expectations about pharmacy that are different in the minds of the care team as well as the patient? And then how do we leverage this longitudinal monitoring and follow-up capability that's always existed but never been leveraged? You've definitely posed a lot of interesting questions about where we need to address um, these issues in quality and how pharmacy can do that. Um, and I know a lot of these questions are, are being implemented in quality improvement research. So through research that you've done in this area, what area of quality do you think needs like the most improvement and focus at this moment? I think if I was to do a word cloud, I would say patient activation. I would say ancillary staff persons in the pharmacy and involving them. I would say patient voice. I would say total cost of care, global outcomes. What are we trying to accomplish? Are we actually preventing them from going to the hospital? So I think it's getting outside of the box of the decision support that exists within the pharmacy and thinking that the only job is that safe, quick, timely, efficient distribution of medications. And really saying, you know what, the time really is now in this value-based renaissance within our healthcare system to say, we ought to be thinking about quality measures that express themselves on the medical benefit, 
um, and we ought to be able to be prepared to participate in the same types of quality measurement and healthcare reform that everybody else is going through, or we may get left out. Absolutely. And one thing that comes to mind, Troy, when you say that being an academician is is thinking about how we utilize our students um, and our ancillary staff to make sure that these things can happen. Um, What are your thoughts about that? A couple of thoughts. It was interesting as, as we started to experiment in North Carolina, weaving these pharmacies into this medical neighborhood concept. Two probably more surprising things that, that occurred to us as the project directors over time was, one, the receptivity from the primary care physicians and the care managers, two, working with community pharmacies in a different way. They were far more receptive to it than we ever would have imagined. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with complex patients for which they have a full appreciation and realization that they need help with. And then the second is that a lot of pharmacies have the mindset that the clinical activity is exclusively the purview of the pharmacist, and nothing can be further from the truth. It really is more medication use supports. Um, There's certainly clinical review that needs to go on. There's certainly using the acumen of the pharmacist that goes on. That is indispensable. You can't provide this these types of enhanced services and community pharmacy care management without it. But if you're going to be the person that's calling that patient and saying, hey, um, remember, we had an appointment for you. We we fill your meds synchronized once a month. And we're just reminding you that your appointment's at 9 o'clock on a Tuesday. Uh, I don't know a whole lot of physician offices where the physician is charged with reminding patients to come to visit. I don't know a whole lot of physician offices that are charged with some coaching activities and reminders and follow-up or chasing down lab results and those types of things. So, the ability of these pharmacies to use their ancillary staff becomes really important. And I think there's some really rich student experiences, particularly early education that can be helpful to not only their career development, but also the machinery and of the, of the pharmacy. One of the, the, the two aspects I would say that came out of our experiment with the UNC Eshelman School of Pharmacy were first-year students work really, really well for these support services that are generalized and non-therapeutic, and that students as not only learners, but teachers. So if you think about students and residents, it's not just teaching them how it is you're going to practice community pharmacy at an advanced level. Oftentimes, they're the ones helping transform or teach the pharmacy how to practice. Uh, I think I think the other aspect of it is helping that pharmacy define roles within the pharmacy. So you, in a traditional pharmacy, you think about the pharmacist, uh, the technician, and the cashier. And what we're finding is that students can be really effective at starting to explore and play different roles. It's not just that they are a backstop pharmacist without the license. It's that they become the patient activation expert or they become the drop-off interviewer, a health assessment. They might um, provide PHQ-9s for patients that present with diabetes prescriptions, which is happening in one pharmacy. They may There's all these different roles, the follow-up person, the telephonic outreach person that's chasing down laboratory results. So we're starting to see better definition of roles when you think about and frame and create work processes within a community pharmacy that go beyond just pharmacist that fills, technician that fills and deals with uh, third-party adjudication and cashier that sells the product. Uh, when you get into the healthcare delivery, it's different types of pharmacist activities, the clinical person, 
the uh, on-call person, different types of pharmacy technician activities, different types of cashier activities, and then students can play lots of different roles and test different roles within the pharmacy. What it allows for that student to do, who's more mature because they're now in a a graduate professional program, uh, but yet hasn't had the therapeutics training yet, is that you're teaching them about patient engagement and patient care before you contaminate them with your therapeutics understanding. As a student, I I, I get really excited about all of these quality improvement pushes because it really kind of enhances the role of the pharmacist. Um, But I do feel as though I'm only breaching the tip of the iceberg with all of the quality networks and initiatives you guys are talking about. Um, And I think a lot of classmates and just upcoming professionals feel the same way. We're raring to get into this quality improvement sector, um, but are a little bit unsure of like where to start and what options we have. Um, So I was just wondering, maybe, do you have any tips for entry-level practitioners and how to start recognizing and developing and then hopefully implementing like successful quality improvement practices at at a lower level? Sure. I think get yourself into a mindset of population management and chronic disease management. So some, some skill sets that you can develop over time that become key are motivational interviewing, empathy, cultural competence being able to read a spreadsheet or do some data analysis. And so all of those that I just mentioned are not typical core curricula or what you might think of when you say, here's the things I'm going to go develop when I go to pharmacy school. But every single professional in the healthcare system now needs to have a common set of skills that takes care of patients, that helps them understand patients, helps them coach patients, helps them Um, analyze data. How is it that we're going to work with a population and provide these types of services to these types of patients and those types of services to those types of patients? So it all goes back to the the theme throughout this discussion, which is we've had such a, a mindset. You know, we started all as chemists and we became dispensers and now we need to be healthcare providers. So we're not dispensers. We're healthcare service providers that happen to dispense and we can use that dispensing event as a really critical way to activate, engage, and work with the patient. It's sort of this gift that we have, and we need to make the most of, our, of this gift that we have. I think that hits on such an important point about us, like you said, having a gift and a way to really engage patients and use these encounters to our advantage. And again, like you said before, as more as a longitudinal experience with this patient, because we can't just focus on their medication list, but in carrying that through follow-up, which is which is so critical to making sure that our patients, like you said, just being released on the playground, um, but that we are really engaging them. I think coaching for self-management skills is also going to be another area that is not just important within pharmacy, the profession and pharmacy circles, but transcends every care team member, including caretakers uh, in the healthcare system. So these are the trends. And, and quite often, you know, when you're in a profession, professions tend to want to protect the status quo. And everything we've learned in the 21st century is that you don't try to stop change and all these changes that are taking place in the larger healthcare system, I think we need to be much more agile about how we react to them. This is a, a good place to kind of summarize a few points that we've talked about. 
I, I really think some of the kind of key things that you hit on that's really stood out to me um, is, is just making sure that we, um, as pharmacists, it's critical, the follow-up in the community where people live, work, and play is critical to making sure that they're successful in improving their health outcomes. And one thing that I think you mentioned that may be surprising to some of our listeners is that the providers are far more receptive because they know they need the help. And with our shift in the healthcare system from quantity to quality, I know that they are feeling those pressures and really want to use pharmacists more than just the dispenser, but to be medication use support for our patients. Another thing that you hit on that I thought was really important was using our ancillary staff and our students to help us to their fullest potential. Uh, Yeah, I definitely think that my biggest takeaway, especially as a student, is just that um, I kind of like how we put it, getting bogged down in the therapeutics. So we we learn all these things about these medications and we're, you know, trying to gather all that knowledge. But it's important to remember that it's not just about the medications that your patient is on, but what you want those medications to accomplish. So always keep it in the front of your mind that to look at this patient as a whole and not just a list of medications or side effects or problems. And I, I really appreciate that point of view. We've always thought about the drugs as the ends. And we need to start thinking about them as the means to the ends. The ends are not the drugs themselves. It's the outcomes and the patient well-being. The average chronically ill Medicare recipient with more than one chronic illness, multiple chronic illnesses, sees 13 different prescribers in a year. So 50 unique medications in a year is 100 times more likely to have a preventable hospital hospitalization than the average Joe. And I think it would be very instructive for all students and perhaps faculty as well to do a home visit on complex patients and gain an appreciation for what the patient's journey looks like when you have multiple chronic diseases. And I think once you gain an appreciation for that, whether you're a physician, a nurse, a social worker, or a pharmacist, you start to think about all of the aspects of care and the importance to think of pharmacists and pharmacies' roles and responsibilities not ending when that cash register rings. So I think that is a great wrap-up point. So thank you so much, Dr. Trickstad, for being on our show today, for participating in Pharmacy Forward podcast. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Forward, a podcast about transforming knowledge into action. If you like this podcast, please subscribe using your favorite podcast app and tell all of your pharmacy friends and colleagues. Be sure to rate us and send us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a story you'd like to share about someone who's transforming knowledge into action, send us an email. Pharmacy Forward is produced by the Division of Pharmacy Professional Development at the University of Mississippi School of Pharmacy. For more information about our professional development programs, visit PharmacyCPD.org. That's PharmacyCPD.org. That's PharmacyCPD.org. This episode was conceived and developed by Neil Patel, Megan Wagner, Laurie Fleming, Josh Fleming, Megan Brown, and Stuart Haynes. Music